What is up, everyone? This is Matt Hewitt, and welcome to another episode of Into the Friar Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast. I don't know if I said it or not, but I am your host, and I want to introduce today's guest, or this week's guest, or however you want to split hairs, but uh, the the woman that I interviewed today is, is someone that... Um, I've known a little bit throughout the years. I, I feel like I've known her for about 20 years, but uh, maybe through our conversation, we figured out that it was a little bit less. I I can't say enough wonderful and superlative things about her. I think um, she's someone that I've admired. Uh, I think at certain points of me when I was younger and a, a bit more naive. I, I was a little bit jealous of her position, but everything that she's accomplished uh, as a chef, she has worked her ass off to to get. Uh, she's someone that I, I find very, very intriguing. Um, her story is pretty damn amazing. Um, man, I, I can't... Uh, I could go on and on for several minutes uh, talking about her and what I think of her, but I just think um, she's an overall fantastic person, a freaking badass in the kitchen, and uh, someone that I would have aspired to be in the kitchen. Uh, I had a chance to work with her a few different times on some charity functions, and it was always, always such a pleasure. Um, and I don't know what else to say except I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Chef Sasha Alger. Let's hope we get this recorded. I'm, I, I, I use this little uh, app called Tape-A-Call. Oh. Because it, it, it seems a little bit more reliable than than uh, than recording it right onto my... Sounds very podcast. politically app. devious. It's it well. I'm letting you know ahead of time. We're taking this call, <laughs> and there is there is no uh, no political nature behind behind this. Uh, behind tape a call. No, no, not in, not in my case anyway. I'm not I'm not sure about California, but I think uh, Utah is a one person consent state, so I wouldn't even have to tell you. <laughs> so, Miss Sasha. I'm good. I am excellent. Um uh, just enjoying a nice cup of coffee here and got up a little bit early this morning, hung out with my son for a few minutes before we started doing some some cleaning. So uh I've already had a productive day. Yeah, How are you that's doing? what it's like when you have kids. You're up and it's hours and then you realize it's only nine o'clock. Yeah. 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 So so I wanna thank you for taking some time out on a Sunday to to speak with me on my little podcast, it uh, it means a lot to me. It does I'm excited. I've been listening to some of them and just kind of getting the feel for it. And I just think you're just going to ask me a bunch of questions. And I'm going to answer them as best as I can. Yeah, we're just going to have fun. I mean, yeah. it's more of more of like, I mean, we we know each other, but we don't really know each other. You know. Mm-hmm. Like I've known I've known you for I feel like almost 20 years. Decades. Yeah. I yeah, but we. But uh, and I think and and uh, you know, we've never really like sat down and done something like this where it's just like, hey, let's let's talk about life and food and what drives and what doesn't. Yeah. You ready to get started? Yeah. <laughs> I've got my okay. coffee. I'm pumped. I'm like. Six hours into my day already, so I'm good. You haven't been up that long. Come on, seriously? I've been six up. hours. Um, well, you know, because we're going to the mountains today, so I was like getting ready to pass and everything. So yeah, but um, shit. You know, I would I would have called you. I would have called you a lot earlier. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Uh, coffee time is a good time. We're gonna do this coffee time. Good. Good, because I'm 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 sipping on a cup of Joe too. It's about 34 degrees here in Utah right now, so mm. uh, it's that time of year. So Sasha, 
you know, I know I like we just kind of went over. I've known you for I feel like it's been a couple of decades at least. Um, I remember I've relayed a couple of times on the story, and I don't know if you were the corporate chef at that time, but I remember when I was first getting started. Um, my sister was working for Susan and Mary Sue, and she would always ask me like different questions about what I was using and packaging and different things. And then finally, she told me there was a conversation that happened, and I don't know if you were part of it or not, where it had to do with like biopack to go containers. Because mm-hmm. I was giving I was giving my sister shit about the fact that you guys were using aluminum foil. Something not biopack. Mm-hmm. Well, just, I mean, and this was back in the day when, like, biopack was kind of, an, it was one of those new things, and, and I was like, uh-huh. oh, let's do it. My boss didn't really give a shit, like, what kind of decision I made as long as I had justification for it. And then I know my sister told me, and she was like, okay, I'm not allowed to bring up your name anymore, or something along the line of, like, they told me I can't bring up your fucking name, <laughs> your fucking name anymore unless they meet you, because they don't want to hear about what you're doing. This is a bunch of bullshit. So, but it feels like it's been, I mean, that feels like it was back, that was like in the late, like probably 97-ish, 98 maybe. Maybe, yeah, I mean, you're testing my memory there. Uh, <laughs> I remember, okay. you know, more obviously through Amy, but uh, the cool comedy experiences with you and having kind of off side off conversations with you separate from that but but I, I don't think I was part of the biopack conversation. Although yeah. that sounds uh tape your phone worthy. I, I don't remember yeah. that well, conversation. That's fine. <laughs> someday that's I'll fine. do an expose book on on life with uh celebrity chefs and that conversation <laughs> will come out. But that's... Um, but I do remember the days of, you know, because I started cooking in the 80s, and so I do remember the days of when all those little peripheral items started to shift in restaurants, and restaurants all of a sudden started to notice their strength in numbers and their ability to influence came about. I mean, I guess it came about more in the 70s, but um, for my time, it came about more in the 80s where you start to see that shift in a bigger way. And and for me, I would say that that kind of happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s because mm-hmm. that's when I was – it, it kind of happened, you know, happens around when you really, like, dive in full bore to, to restaurant work, or at least that's what it was for me. Mm-hmm. So speaking of so restaurant I'm work – old, basically. No, I'm old. no. <laughs> I, I, not at all. Not at all. I would I would say that we're probably within a few years of, of each other. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I'm old. So you're definitely not old. How about Good that? Answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're, we're so so. I want to take kind of. We'll go back and I, I don't want to say speaking of the '80s, but um, we'll kind of we'll maybe start there. But when when did you get into cooking? When did you get into kitchens? And when? How did it all really start for you? Um, it started for me, it started for me, I, I basically had no intention of cooking. It wasn't anything I ever wanted to do. Back when I started cooking, nobody wanted to do that. I mean, there were like a couple of really high-end cooking schools that I didn't even know existed until much later in my career, um, that that was a thing that people did. But, you know, uh, I grew up in L.A., and I was basically the fuck up. You know, I, I didn't do well in school. I, only graduated because I went to rehab, you know, and like I, I um, was kind of just like a mess in my life, like many people when you're young, maybe a little bit more so. But uh, you know, when I was just working on jobs, I um, had actually gotten into um, a graphic design uh, program at Sidham, which was just starting, also the Fashion Institute. Uh, and it was basically, you know, just, I think, in my mind, as somebody who never did well in school, it was like, you have to go to school, you have to, that's what's going to make a career. And so I basically got talked into going to school, and I met some very dear friends out of it, so I don't regret it, but I do think that it wasn't my path. 
And um, very early on, I kind of realized that and was trying to make my way and figure stuff out. And so I started, kind of stumbled into cooking, just as many people do, just because it's an easy job to get if you're not educated, you know. And so um, very early on, I got a job, you know, uh, washing dishes. And uh, I was working at, like, a little place in Venice Beach, like, uh washing dishes and maybe you could call it prep work but it wasn't really prep work it was kind of just like grunt work and then um kind of lied and tricked my way into better and better places and uh not out of anything (laughs) but wanting to make more money and it really wasn't even about cooking I didn't even give a shit about cooking at that time It, it wasn't anything I wanted to do but I found like this camaraderie in cooking cooking and I knew it was kind of my people and so what I really what kept me going at, at looking at different restaurant jobs was the people. And that kind of job suited me very well. I was good at long hours. I had high endurance. I could do any kind of like kind of shit work for long hours at a time and not complain. And just, so I was, you know, I probably would have done well in the military. I think, you know, I, I just was that kind of mindset and, you know, I didn't have any education or any kind of background. So there were a lot of jobs out there that I could get. And so I just, and I worked with everybody like that at that time, everybody I knew, nobody went to cooking school. You started as a dishwasher or prep cook and you kind of worked your way up. And it was exactly. cool. If you were a cook, then it was like, wow, you know, kind of made it into like the big dollars. And, um, which was all of, I don't even remember what it was then, you know, $7 an hour or something. Not, not and, enough, not enough to sustain a living. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, and and then I kind of, I mean, lucky for me, very lucky for me, the places and the people I ended up meeting, and it was probably a time in my life and the time of L.A. at the time where I stumbled and flustered into some very, very, very good restaurants. And so I think, and then as I worked in those good restaurants, then obviously good restaurants to get good restaurants and and so I had a very um fortunate career early on and then I started to appreciate cooking but it wasn't till way later in my career that I started to kind of say oh I kind of like this cooking thing I think I'm kind of good at it you know about how many how many years in would you say before you had that oh, moment, God. before you, you know, I think I was probably a sous chef by the time I, like, really thought, oh, I think I'm a natural. You know, I ended up, you know what it was? I was at, uh, I ended up in San Francisco at some point, um, and I was working for Judy Rogers at Zuni, uh, and that's, uh, that was really in the super heyday of Zuni. I felt like, you know, we had... Martha and Martha, the two Marthas, we called them, but um, they were the head sous chefs, and they were amazing, and they had been with Judy for years and years and years and years, and um, Zuni was just doing incredible things, and I'd never worked for a chef like Judy, and and uh, I think it was like that San Francisco Chez group of chefs who kind of really loved the ingredients and you know it was all about like geeking out on a single green bean or like I'm gonna like cook this quail over like mesquite really slowly or whatever and 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 all those things that I kind of make fun of now to be honest but um it was so pivotal for me in how I thought about food because even down here in LA I was cooking some pretty incredible food. I was a Mary Susan very early on and and doing some food that nobody had ever heard of, really global food that was like kind of groundbreaking at the time. But I'd never really stopped to think about, you know, it was all that, like all this great stuff you could do with food. But until I got to Zuni, I never really thought about the beginning of food and the beginning to the end of food. I never really had that had never crossed my mind. I didn't come from that kind of culture. Um, I didn't eat in that kind of culture, you know, and so I think it started to shift for me there. 
That's when sure. I started to real. And it was the first time that, you know, we had recognizable chefs, you know, uh, you know, who came in and said to me, like, wow, you've really got a knack for dough, <laughs> you know, like, it would be like, wow, that's so cool, or <laughs> like, you know, right. working with Julia Child, doing stuff, like, where it was just like, oh, my God, these really, like, outstanding chefs saying to me, like, you know, basically validating, wow, you're kind of good at what you do. And so then it was, it kind of fueled the fire of, hey, I can maybe do this for a living, even though I'd been doing it for a living for probably 10 years at that point. You know, it, wow. it was always, I had been cooking always with this thing of like, okay, I'm going to cook until I figure out what I'm going to do. And then at some point it dawned on me, no, you idiot, this is what you do. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. seems very, obviously, why I probably didn't do well in school. You know, but connecting well, the dots I mean, isn't we, always right. <laughs> we, all, we always, all of us have like our own different uh, ways of learning and, and ways of applying our intelligence. I mean, like I, I did good in school up through high school and then I, I got through high school I did well but then after high school I was like what in the hell like like college never appealed to me I tried it because like you mm -hmm. said that's what you're supposed to do but I, ne I never once thought like and I still think to this day I have you know I still have doubts about my intelligence and like and then I'm like god dude like Seriously, like you're not, mm -hmm. you're not, you know, like you're smarter than what you say you are or think you are. And I'm sure, like, when I'm listening to your story, uh, it amazes me as I go, and I've gone back through some of the interviews of, of like the similarities that a lot of us share. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I mean, it just, it just amazes me. I, I want to touch on a couple of things, and I'll ask you another question. But so you had kind of. Um, you said like you'd only graduated high school because you went to rehab, and I think I've shared with you I'm I'm 11 years plus sober uh, these days. So how how did how how did it like reshape your life or are you I didn't even know that you did that. I mean it's not anything that we've ever talked about. Is that something that you want to talk about or not so much? Um, sure. I mean I don't. It's so distant now, and I have to say that sure. um, you know I was I I was an early, early alcoholic, and not for any reason other than I was just that kid. I was just that kid who was going to get into trouble. I think I was bored. I was, like, just the kid who was always, you know, the kid that your friend's parents tell you not to hang out with. <laughs> like, I was that kid. And, like, I just, so I started drinking very early, started smoking very early, drinking very early, um, was in pretty much, like, a point of like needing some serious help by the time I was, I don't know, 15, 16. And wow. um, uh, some friends of mine approached my parents and told them they thought I needed help. And uh, so with my parents and my very good friends at the time, you know, they kind of said to me, look, we could take you to this program or you could check yourself into this program. And um, I chose to check myself in and uh, went in. And, you know, I don't think – I actually – and this probably goes against every AA thing in the world, but I actually don't think that I really had a drinking problem. I had a drinking problem as a result of other problems. And I think sure. um, I was sober for many years when I got out. So, But then, you know, I was – 16, 17, so by the time I was 22, I'd been sober for years, and this kind of, when everyone else was getting into partying, I was kind of done with it, and right. I, I did end up drinking again, and, and but I think by that point, I think I just kind of had other things to do. I, I think I was traveling, I really discovered traveling, and just kind of getting around, and like being able to appreciate my surroundings and, and kind of dive into other things. And it's when I started traveling, I think, that I realized I don't 
need to, I could drink and enjoy a drink, but I don't need to be like messed up or like drunk to appreciate this. And I think I just kind of came out of it and just, um, luckily, you know, and I think yeah. I, in the process of dealing with some of my, I have some other more serious issues that I won't talk about, but I think that, you know, in dealing with those other more serious things, I think I dealt with the subsequent, you know, drinking, uh, superficial kind of drinking solution that I had always had. And so I think I kind of worked on my problem and my solution at the same time, and it kind of happened copacetically for me. So so I think by the time, I feel like almost a cheater in saying like I had this experience because I hear people have way worse experiences. But I think for me, it just all happened so early that by the time I was done and I was in my 20s, I was like over it and done, and it wasn't even a part of my life anymore. It was, but it kind of wasn't. And, um, right. And then I was working and making a living and trying just to get by and not thinking about it. And drinking just got in the way of that, you know. You know, so not that we wouldn't go out for drinks after work or, you know, in those days, drinking at work or something like that, you know. So, um, but, oh, God forbid, drinking at work? Who does that? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was, that was the standard. It's so funny now, like all this. Yeah, oh. all the rules there are, but there was smoking at work and drinking at work was very common, and yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think you know, I don't know, I forgot the beginning of the question, but I, I think it was it didn't actually play a big part in my adult life. It played a huge part in my younger life, but in my adult sure. life, I think that part was a chapter kind of said and done. And didn't really come into play again. Awesome, that's awesome. I mean, not. I, I always just look at it as like I, you know, I, I wanted. Man, maybe you could say the same thing. Like you, you wanted to change the way you felt, and then you realized that the changing the way you felt wasn't going to take care of the other thing because it was still there. And then you dealt with the whatever the other issue was, and then boom. You yeah. Know, um, yeah. I will say I, that it makes me a very keen eye for anybody who's like drinking or getting high. Like I could pick you out of a like in a line. I could pick you out so quick. I could like, <laughs> like don't even try, don't even try to bounce it with me because I've been there. I've seen it all. I've done it all. So I feel yeah. like a little bit like like those cooks come in and they think I'm kind of mild mannered to them. You know, you know, I'm pretty mellow, and so yeah. it's 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 a hard comparison. But oh man, I've walked out with you know sitting on cooks with their crack in my pockets. You know, because it's like you know, it's so no, easy my to goodness. Yeah, yeah. So, gosh, there's so many questions I have for you. So many things I want to talk about. Was was um at at home growing up. Was food like a major part of of kind of growing up for you? Because because like I don't know if you've ever talked to my sister about this, but like I always recall in my family, like we had my mom had two sisters, all of, you know I had several cousins, my grandparents, uh, my my grandfather was a chef who had I think retired long before I was even born, or maybe right after I don't know. He's he was he didn't work for the most part that I knew growing up, or he was like a security guard at Rockwell, but he was a chef for a long, long time. And then um, I just remember like he and my, my grandmother had this gigantic backyard in their home in Pico Rivera, huge garden. And I, and like some of my earliest memories, besides the holidays of like watching him carve a turkey and all those things. And then my aunt's, and my mom being tremendous, like, home cooks. Um, I remember, like, him and my grandma, like, watching my grandmother roll out, like, handmade noodles and my grandfather butchering a chicken and then getting, like, vegetables that he pulled from his garden and making, like, chicken noodle soup. Like, that that's a something mm-hmm. that ha, ha, is, like, part of my DNA almost of, like, where I remember, like, the earliest memories of, of like, cooking. But was – and was cooking and and food like a part of a big part of growing up for you? I mean, besides the fact that you wanted to work 
you know, you just, I need a job and then you start working in restaurants because I never had any intention of working in restaurants until I did. Yeah, I think uh, a little bit. My mom is an incredible cook. Uh, I also come from a multi-ethnic home. My mom's Chinese. My dad's mixed American mutt. um, You know, both my parents came from very, very poor households, like extremely poor. You know, they had just come out of, um, like, they're both born World War II era. So, you know, I think they came from households where food was very precious. And you didn't have a lot of great food. You made what you could. And especially, you know, coming from a Chinese uh, background, like, the food was very different. My dad, you know, and his family, like, my grandma left her husband. Um, in the middle of the night kind of thing or, you know, grabbed the kids, got on a train, came to California, um, and they were super broke. So, you know, both my parents came from this point of very appreciating food. I don't know that it necessarily translated into, like, the meals you're talking about. It wasn't, you know, anything like, I would say, how you grew up eating. That's sort of how I hope to do that for my kids now. That's how we try and cook at home. I think how sure. my home cooking was, was my dad cooked one thing. He worked at a diner when he was a kid. Um, he was working as a busboy or something, and then the cook quit and stormed out, and they made my dad the cook. He had never cooked anything in his life. So my dad, <laughs> for like years, worked cooking breakfast, like a short order cook at a diner. And yeah. so all my dad knew how to make was breakfast. Those eggs. <laughs> my dad was in charge of breakfast. He would make us eggs. He ate eggs every day. That's like kind of like what our breakfast was. And um, it was very kind of diner style, you know, and um, and that's what he cooked. My mom, you know, cooked Chinese food for the most part. Or, But it was, you know, also the 70s. So it was like Chinese food. But then like Betty Crocker recipes kind of snuck in there and like kind of casseroles and kind of like Americana things of the 60s and 70s, you know, joy of cooking type things. But then they'd have like a Chinese flair. And my mom was the kind of person who, I mean, for sure, gave me this love of she would go into a store, see something she had never seen before, and buy it and bring it home and cook it, even if she didn't know how to cook it and what it was. And, of course, my family, like, nobody would want to eat it. And so I would feel bad for my mom. So her and I would usually sit there and eat something. And I always tell the story of, like, one time she went to some market and saw brains, like a package of brains in a little, like, jelly pack. And she bought it and brought it home and said, we're going to have this for dinner. And I remember my whole family being like, hell no, you're not eating that, whatever that is. And then uh, I was like, oh, God, I'll eat it. And she's like, you'll try it, right? And I was like, sure. And then she made these brains very unflavorful, like just brains on a plate. Like I think she cooked uh. it. I want to say she cooked it in a pressure cooker because she cooked everything in a pressure cooker, but that would probably explode. But she uh, basically cooked up these brains, put them on a plate, and we said, brains, you know, and it's just like, whatever. But that was like kind of my mom, the way she would cook it. Most of the time she would cook amazing things, but um, she'd end up just like throwing something in that she saw at the store. Or, and she still does that, you know. Yeah, I, that that's amazing. I, I, I mean, I would say like probably similarly, like, my family was my parents got divorced when I was real young and um I ended up, you know, living living with my mom and and I I've, I've written about this and talked about it where I like I was but we we weren't we weren't poor but it's all relative like to, for for me like where we didn't necessarily belong in the neighborhood that we lived in and I think like my mom was one of those um you know, adventurous. I was, I was born in the, in the early part of the seventies and like my mom did, I, I remember seeing like those better homes and gardens, like red, I think it's red and, a red and, uh, white checker. That might be Betty Crocker, but like the better homes and gardens for mm-hmm. folks. And, and it was one of those things where like my mom did, did those adventurous things. And a lot of time, like 
I would be, I, I was eating things that my friends were like, you're eating, your mom made what? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. she, she, she took the, she, but like, like she, my mom would make curry. Like her, she, she was used to make like her own curry powder. Huh. Like she yeah. had two, she had two spice grinders at home. One was for coffee and then one was for her to make her, her curry powder. But like a lot of time growing up, my, I mean, my sister's eight years older and my brother's, uh, you know, almost 11 years older than me. So it was just, it was just her and I for a lot of the time. And so we would, she would take me out to eat like once a week, you know, and then, and then, and then she would cook all the time. Believe me, I'll tell you now, I don't know how my mom ever got a freaking meal on the table. And I listened back to her story of how she partied and drank and all that, but that's a, another story for another time but like <laughs> it was just it was just about her being resourceful and I mean there was plenty of times where like it was like instant mashed potatoes and then like ground beef gravy with like onions you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. I mean it was yeah. just, just all all those things that like a resourceful mom will do to to try to bring some spice to life with the, with the kids you know Oh yeah, I mean I'm amazed that she did home ground curry powder. When you said that, I remember my mom. One of my favorite things she used to cook was like curry chicken over rice, and it was literally like curry powder, probably, and raisins and chicken and wine or something, and then she'd stew that, and then we'd eat it over rice. And I just thought it was the most delicious thing I had ever tasted. Never knew. Indian food. I never, I didn't even know what curry was. It was just like, wow, what is that? Like, that's so delicious, right. you know. But it's so funny. But it yeah, was literally to... curry powder. I was a thing I can't imagine grinding. That's pretty advanced. She was, she was, she was, I mean, God bless her. Like, she was, she was pretty, uh, got after it pretty well. And then I, I remember, like, even, like, as a 10 or 11 or 12 year old, I mean, I think for a for a few, it was like birthday, Christmas, Mother's Day, or like you know, like birthday, Christmas, birthday, Christmas, where like I was buying my mom cookbooks. Like one of her, I don't know if you remember um, the Frugal Gourmet. Oh God, Jeff I was Smith. just cooking a recipe of his. I was just <laughs> cooking. I have this amazing thing that I do from way back. I saw a Frugal Gourmet episode where he took potatoes and he slit them open and he put. Uh, leaves, bay leaves in between each potato and he roasted them and I make it to this day. It is my favorite recipe and I always tell you I was just going to actually do a post about it because fresh bay leaves in potatoes. Sorry not to get off your story. But just like It's so funny because I was saying I was going to do a post and I wondered will anyone know who the frugal gourmet is anymore? This guy right here. This guy does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Smith. He was he was freaking awesome, and I I mean like like literally on Saturday mornings there was times when I would just sit down with my mom and we'd, we'd watch we'd watch cooking shows. But I was never mm-hmm. interested. Like I was never interested in cooking. It wasn't something that I was going to do. And then I started working in restaurants, and I was like, God, the idea of going to college really sucks. Maybe I'll take this, you know. But I yeah. ended up trying to do the college thing, and you know, the rest is history. But so. We're gonna. Ju- I'm gonna jump around a little bit with you. Mm-hmm. Are you're? I, I mean, I follow you on on Instagram, and we're friends. You know, tell me about how you got into vegan and vegetarian cooking, and are are you 100% vegan now? Uh, no, something that not. I want to ask you. Yeah, yeah. So I got into it. You know, uh, I had my uh, so I had a restaurant named Street, and we were yeah. uh, cooking street food, like global street food. So, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of global cooking is vegetarian or very heavy plant based. Um, meat is kind of a side item of a lot of those dishes, and um, so it kind of leaned a little plant. It's funny when we did our cookbook. We got so many comments from all – we got comments from vegetarians and vegans that said, this isn't veggie-friendly enough. And we got comments from meat eaters who said, what is this, a vegetarian cookbook? There's, like, no meat. And so, like, it was just 
perspective on where you were coming from. You're coming from like a heavy carnivore meat based diet. Our restaurant seemed very like veggie centric. If you were coming sure. from a vegetarian diet, it seemed like, well, I can't get anything without eating it. Because we would have a vegetarian dish, but maybe it would have a little Chinese sausage thrown in, or it would have, you know, it was primarily vegetarian, but it would have, you know, dried shrimp paste because that's how ethnic cooking is. And so it was enough to make it that vegetarians couldn't eat it. So I think where it started for me, and I say on my personal journey too, I was having, I had a lot of health issues in my early thirties. And, um, so I had already started to kind of look at the way I was eating and my diet and um, started kind of moving towards eating more vegetarian or veggie heavy and cutting meats out of my diet more and more. I was eating, um, and I do eat uh, pescatarian now, so I eat fish and I don't eat meat, but I eat fish and dairy. And um, so I started moving towards this diet kind of personally anyways. But then with the restaurant, I just was noticing, God, I could just cut out one ingredient and it makes the whole thing vegan or it makes the whole thing vegetarian. Why wouldn't I do that? Like, it just seems so silly. And I still see that now through this lens. I look at other restaurants and I go and I just think, God, if you just made that one thing an option or something you put on after the fact, it would be a vegetarian dish. Like, why wouldn't you kind of try and move it that way? <laughs> I don't know. And then there's right. other dishes where you realize it's so crucial to the dish, you know. But um, anyway, so then I kind of went through this kind of personal journey of that, of like, is it really crucial to the dish? How crucial is it to the dish? Let's look at that. And so I started creating. So, of course, I became very involved in the vegan community. I actually, uh, you know, when you look at sustainability, and environmental issues, I wouldn't say I'm probably on the spectrum of the animal uh, cruelty issues, although, you know, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, it's pretty life-altering. But I think that um, I I just got very involved with talking to people of, of different eating backgrounds and got really heavy into the vegan community because I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding of, you know, how people communicate about the way they eat and how we judge each other on what we eat. And that thing is very fascinating to me. And um, and so I always like to kind of dive into the, why are people eating this way? And I think that's actually been the, as I've gotten older, you know, and, and we talked about, I'm going to go off topic a little bit, but it comes back to this, believe me. So, so you know, my early career, I didn't know I wanted to cook. Then I wanted to cook, right? Then I thought, oh, this is good. I'm good at this. This is what I want to do. I never, ever, ever in my entire career have ever wanted to be a chef. It's never been my life. I got to be the best chef. I got to be a restaurant owner. I know I've done all those things, so it seems kind mm-hmm. of counterproductive, but it's never what I've wanted. It's why, you know, you know, working with celebrity chefs, I could have easily taken that route and said, yeah, put me on a TV show. I could do that, you know, and, but I never chose to do that because I think where my real passion with food lies is kind of the why behind the food and the history of the food. It's why I do a lot of work with indigenous people and like foods that aren't well known or, or seen a lot or they're not like Instagrammed because they're not pretty you know, but I, I'm always curious about why people eat the way they eat and what we eat and how that food got to be there has always been fascinating to me. So I think when I kind of dove into plant-based foods, it called to me in that way of this really curious place of how much food is out there that's plant-based already. And then how much could be made plant-based and why do we choose to do that? as opposed to just eating that way. I mean, there's communities and communities that eat plant-based just anyways, right? Well, people always say to me, I yeah. don't eat vegan. You know, people say, I don't eat vegan. And I say, well, do you eat spaghetti and red sauce? Because I'm vegan. <laughs> you know, do you eat? There's a million things that are just kind of 
vegan by default, and but there's this culture of I eat that way or I don't eat that way. And so anyway, so so it kind of uh, brought me working with that kind of food. A lot I'm fascinated by that food. I, I love the challenge of doing that, and I love the kind of simplicity of eating pure. And I could say that there's junk food vegans too, right? So my main thing is how do you eat in a non-processed way? which is very hard, and I don't do it very well. When you have kids, you don't do it very well. But I think, you know, how do you eat in a pure way? And when you come down to it, that's, you know, pretty much about plants. And so I think I just dove into it. Now, my family, my girlfriend's vegan. My uh, two stepdaughters are vegan. My son eats everything, but he eats pretty healthy, you know, because I think he's around us all the time. And I think, you know, we... um so I think we try and maintain a healthy lifestyle. And because I'm around three vegans all the time, we tend to eat vegan a lot. So, you know, and I work, right now I work for Veggie Grill doing recipe development. So I work for a vegan company creating vegan recipes, you know. So it's just, it is my world right now and um, has been a little for some time. And I'm I'm fascinated by it and I love it, but, you know. I've cooked everything and continue to cook things, you know, from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm always amazed, like, when uh, – speaking of, like, the, the food history and, and origins and all of that, like, when I look at that food, um, it always seemed like, like proteins – well, you know, meat, uh, you know, lamb or, you know, cow, cow or whatever, beef – um or or pig was kind of always reserved for like like special occasions you know and and it wasn't until i mean i don't know when it happened but it seems like as the united states grew like all of those uh, you know all of the you know maybe maybe poultry has always been kind of more more in like a normal rotation of or or fish um but like like those other cultures it seemed like like they really reserved the eating of, of meat proteins for a special occasion. So more or less on, on like a, a normal basis, they were, they were eating grains and, and, and plants and more than, more than that anyway. Cause having spent, um, you know, like the last few years of my career, I was, I was working for a, a Mexican restaurant and, and I mean, we made our, I think we had eight moles on our menu by the time I left, and it was we had been able to take those recipes when I got there. We had tons of people going, uh, you know, I'm gluten free and I want this, and, and you know, sometimes we always call for flour tortillas or bread or different things like that, and 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 we had devel- developed a way to make them either using corn tortillas for some of the recipes that up to tradition or being able to have like the the thickness by using by using only vegetables and removing removing any of the of the gluten items and 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 as I started to develop into Mexican cuisine I was like noticing how much of the food and it's not I don't know if it's similar or not but like like being gluten free is a huge thing these days you know and and like how much food was naturally just gluten free in the cuisine? It was kind of amazing. Like wheat wasn't didn't play mm-hmm. a huge part aside from from tortillas and whatnot. It's funny, you know, with the it's funny with the diet. You know, um, you could take it one way or the other. I think you know, there's always been those things. We've all been in restaurants where somebody comes in and they say, is this gluten-free? And they go through the whole menu. Is this gluten-free? Is this, tell me what's gluten-free. You go through all the trouble of saying it. And then they're like, well, I want to order this. Oh, that's actually not gluten-free. Oh, it's okay. Like, just I'm just trying to eat that way. You know, and then notoriously the server comes back into the kitchen, tells the story. Everyone's like, oh, God, they're not really gluten-free. Like, what is this the point? You know, why make everyone go there? And I just always thought, well, so what? Who cares if they just want to kind of eat them? <laughs> like, you have to have a reason. Yeah. You have to have, like, a label. Can't you just say, I don't feel like eating this thing right now? Like, even if it's, like, oh, you know, 
because I would say I'm the same, right? Like I don't eat meat in my life uh, ever now because of my work, you know, but, but every once in a while I have to, or every once in a while I'm someplace and, um, you know, something's made with a chicken stock or it's made with, you know, a gelatin or something. And it's like, I'll eat it. And I feel like there's like a guilt of, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm eating this thing. Like, I just like, right. I didn't get the critical. But then it's like, you know what? I eat the way I eat. So I don't need to justify the way I eat. And I think so many people are tired of justifying the way you eat. You shouldn't have to worry about on either side of it. You know, and if you eat better for yourself or better for whatever reason you want to eat, well, then go for it. And if somebody wants to come in and they want to eat like, a big ham steak and 12 eggs and you know it's like a coronary on a plate it's like yeah. whatever who knows the way that person lives the way they grew up the way they think about food the way you know maybe they haven't had food and like I'm not gonna like judge somebody and vice versa I'm not gonna judge somebody who wants to eat better for themselves even if they can't do it all the time even if it's you know you know, I'm just going to try not to eat gluten because I want to watch my carbs. Or I'm going to say, you know, who the fuck cares? It's like, just let them eat that way. And it's like, even if it's just they're asking because they're curious and then they change their mind, who cares? Like, who yeah. you should, like, yeah. dictate how people, you know, when you're in a restaurant and you have to work to do that, I think you have the right to say, we don't have the ability to do that. And somebody could choose not to eat at your restaurant, right? So I think that's right. fair. That's totally fair that it's not every restaurant needs to accommodate every single kind of allergy. But I do think there's a little bit of this mentality of like, oh, somebody's not all the way something. It's like you don't have to be all the way something anytime, you know, and just let people eat the way they want to eat and leave people alone. I don't know. It just drives me crazy. I see it in the chef world all the time where we just scoff at people or, you know, I used to do that. <laughs> yeah. I used to be a I used to be a scoffer, and then I I I don't know what happened. A maturity level came over me that I was like, okay, well, you know, to each their own, and people need to, you know, if if we can, then we can. If we can't, or like I I would I would take the stance of like if it's really going to throw off the rhythm of of my team on a on a busy night to try to accommodate you, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Yeah, but well, of course, we and we've to, all done that. Yeah, but I most we've of the time I, I would try to. What's that? Oh, sorry. I was just saying we've all just said no. You know, mm-hmm. we've all said no, especially yeah. if you're an asshole. But you know, <laughs> I used to have I used to have someone that would come into my Italian restaurant, Christie's, and they had a lot of health issues. And they would bring, they would come in with their friends and they would call before and they were semi-regular customer, but they would be like, Hey, I'm coming in tonight. I'm going to bring you some stuff. And they would bring me like buckwheat pasta and, mm-hmm. um, and jarred baby food. And they were, they, they, they were like, it was like one of those people that you were like so happy to help because they were, they were, they were proactive and yeah, yeah. Well, they're, and they're and they're proactive in like, hey, I'm not gonna, you know. Oh yeah, the I'm people who come with the list. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always appreciate the people who call ahead, say, I have a list. I'm gonna send you a list of the stuff I can't eat, and you have time to kind of like prepare for that. Those are like the best people. They're, they're yeah. conscious. They're thinking about it. Still a pain, but it's like. God, I'm so happy to work for those kind of people. With, I'll throw in, I'll throw in with the caveat of at the end, I had one person that did that with the list, and then uh, put like, "You are liable for my health and well-being if anything <laughs> happens." <laughs> like, what? I am not. Yeah. I am not. So, I, I'm, so you come to my restaurant, you are liable. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you, you can you can piss right off with that too. I don't care if you're a lawyer or not. Um, yeah. So, I, and you're getting ready to head to the mountains. Where are you heading? Oh, we're just heading up to the 
uh, we live right here by the Angeles National Forest, and my son is not a hiker. We're all hikers. Um, my son is not a hiker, um, but he really wants to get up and see the snow today, and we're just going to go up and uh, maybe not get in the snow, but just go up and, like, get up high in high altitude and kind of just wander a little bit. So, yeah. Where, yeah. where, what side of, so I, when I, when I was younger, my dad would uh, drive me up to like Mount Wilson. So we're going to Mount Wilson. So we're going to Mount Wilson. We, we live just like, uh, just down the mountain from what, Mount Wilson. We're basically at the base of Mount Wilson. So we're going to drive up to Mount oh, okay. Wilson. And then we might go up further seeing, you know, how we do. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, we're not going to hike it. We're just going to drive it. You know, Mount Wilson's one of those places where when you hike it, you get up there and you're so frustrated because you just hiked like eight hours and then you get up there and somebody's driven up there in 20 minutes. That's going to be us yeah. today. <laughs> We're going to just drive right. up there and just check it out. But, um, you know, I'm going to be in the mountains a little. And, uh, yeah, just have a day outdoors. It's so gorgeous here in California. But, you know, it's what you love about California, right? It's like snow and sunshine. I'm sitting in a short sleeve shirt right now, and then we're going to be in, you know, 35 degree weather in about an hour. So, yeah, so it'll yep. be the uh, sun and yep, snow I day. Yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the fact of like uh, right before we moved. So now I, uh, I live in Utah, and, and it, we have definitely four noticeable season so um i remember right before probably a year or two before we moved a buddy of mine went on my birthday in january to to mount baldy to go snowboarding and uh, it was like it was like a like from long beach it was like a 45 minute drive on a, on a weekday morning and i was like oh this is awesome you know but yeah now 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 i'm looking out my back door and um yeah, the ground it's covered. It's covered with snow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's not too bad though. It's not too bad oh, except for um, we have we have to figure out the inversion. We have we get this uh, in the Salt Lake Valley like we get this cloud cover and it just traps in the air quality from time to time is less than desirable, especially oh. during the winter time. But I've only been there once. To, to really Utah. To Salt Lake City, I've only oh, okay. been one time, and I don't remember it very well because I went for work, and uh, I remember the, the the staff we had was very interesting. <laughs> um, but but uh, I learned about funeral potatoes and um, the green jello with the cheddar cheese. Uh, what else are some like uniquely Utah things? But uh, I was fascinated with the thing called funeral potatoes. Just like fascinated. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what's funny is is my my mom my mom made those for has still does makes has been making that for years. We never knew it was called funeral potatoes. Like with the like you know frozen hash browns and then sour cream and cheese and then like layer of cheese on top with cornflakes. Delicious. Yeah. Absolutely. Crazy. I could eat like a, I could eat like pound and pound at a time of that. That's that's uh, yeah. You crazy Utah, conceptually. It is crazy conceptual. The the Utah's changing though. Like the it, it there we just voted for uh, we just passed the medical marijuana law this year in the midst of elections. It's kind of interesting. But you know what's funny? My wife my wife grew up. In, in the Mormon church and uh, she she got, you know did all that thing to get herself excommunicated and all that a long time ago but um, her, her mother still practices and like but her mom like you know like it's really weird like her mom's super nice and not like what you would not doesn't fit that stereotype of what you think of mm-hmm. like going to Salt Lake City Utah Mormon but it's really like a ruling minority. It's really bizarre. And there was a big issue this week, just kind of talking about Salt Lake City for a second. So there was a, because they passed this, they passed this medical marijuana law, then the Mormon church 
got involved in negotiations with the freaking state senate to to like rework it and and it was it's a like they're getting the Mormon church is getting sued right now it, there's a lawsuit that's well, going to happen <laughs> because they're getting involved with like this like i mean it's it, it's always been and i and i work with uh this guy that's you know what i do currently he's like he's like oh yeah they i've always known that they you know were behind the scenes like trying to work in the government and control things and now it's just like they don't care it's just on the open like they, they don't even try to hide the fact that they, yeah. they're trying to manipulate <laughs> the government so that is, but it uh, is it is kind of crazy it was it was a little bit of an adjustment period but it, it there's it's a very very diverse community we got here in in uh here in utah and i love to snowboard so we live we live pretty close to yeah it's like, pretty sweet really, really nice we're dying to take a hiking trip out there sometime, but I need a lot more time than I have right now to do that. Oh yeah, southern southern Utah is is mm-hmm. outstanding. Zion National Park and mm-hmm. uh, all that, the arches and all those things, so beautiful. Well, gosh, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, that kind of and went around and went everywhere, but we fun. we did. Right. We did, and I have to I, do a part was, two sometime. We will because I, I'm trying to be respectful of of you being able to get out of your um, get out onto your day. Um, so I didn't want to didn't want to keep on rolling and rolling because I could I could I've I've been told that I can be disrespectful of people's time from time to time. So. <laughs> um, What's uh, in the last few minutes that we have? What's what's next for you? What's I mean, you're you're with Veggie Grill, um, you know, you're doing that. What what I mean, what's on the horizon for you? The thing right now I'm working on is I'm working on a project with basically working on a project about indigenous foods that are dying out. So I'm working with um, uh, specific people in Nepal and. Uh, if you go on my Instagram and click on the little, it's not really a blog, it's just kind of a journal I'm keeping of a tree that is used by the Tamang people in Nepal that's uh, basically not dying. It's not anything. It's just sitting there, but people are forgetting about it. And so it's not being used as an ingredient anymore. It's this really integral ingredient in the traditional cooking there. And so I've just been kind of working on this, like, uh, story of indigenous foods that are in the process of dying out simply because people are moving on from them or forgetting about them or products are being introduced that replace them. And so that's kind of my passion story right now. We could talk about it in more length at some other time, but you know, um, it'd be fun. But yeah. Are you you planning on writing a book with that or are you going to just do it online. What do you, what are your? I mean, like what? Uh, your... Kind of like everything I do. It just doesn't have any uh, destination involved. It's just it's a, a work in progress and something I'm passionate about and something that I want to tell the story of. And if it collects into something bigger, that'd be fascinating. You know, I want to do some filming. I want to go to Nepal. Um, hopefully, make a trip out there this year and do some filming of everything that I'm writing about instead of it just being journals, you know? And so sure. I think it's it's taking shape into maybe something bigger, but right now it's just me transcribing. I have, you know, through years of travel, I have all these food journals with some really interesting things, like through, you know, through uh, the Yucatan areas of Mexico, I have all these, like, medical recipes from, like, the... Zapotecs there and like I have a bunch of language stuff that's like you know the languages are dying out the food's dying out and I just thought I have all these just like scribble notes I should get them into some written form so one I don't forget what my notes mean as I get older and that all this stuff is kind of fascinating information that I should just like get out there somehow and then you know, if it takes shape into something else, that would be fantastic. But I don't know if it will. Right now, it just lives as journals. 
and journal entries that are kind of reworked a little to make some sense to people other than me. Right. That's where it starts, though. I mean, mm -hmm. just like you have an idea and, I mean, from what I know of you, you just have an idea and then you go with it and then it becomes something wonderful. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this will really tell the story of this, these people and this food and some interesting things along the way. So, and we'll have to do, you know what I was thinking we should do on uh, one of your podcasts is do a recipe and like maybe people could follow along or something or do something where we cook something together. Maybe you could be there, I could be yeah. here, we could cook something together or something. That would be, that fun. Would be fun. I've actually, I'm actually, I just put out uh, on, into the social media realm and like, I guess I put it out there in the universe. I actually uh, put out for looking, I'm looking for people that do like sound editing and uh, filming and all that kind of stuff because I, I think it would be fun to to do what we're doing, like, you know, like, I don't know if you listen to any podcasts, but one of my favorites is one called Armchair Expert with Zach Shepard. Oh, and it's so funny. Like, I was just, I just downloaded that yesterday because Natalie, my girlfriend, listens to it. And she said, you have to listen to this podcast. I, I don't listen to podcasts usually, but um, I, I'm like the audiobook person. But, uh, but She's like, you have to listen to this podcast. I literally just subscribed to that podcast yesterday, so we'll see. <laughs> so he, so he does like he has like a couch and a, and a couple of chairs and like they just kick back and relax and like he has an attic in his house where they do the thing. But I, I was thinking like it, it would be fun to to be able to have a couple people and like take small road trips and go and like do something like that. It would, yeah. You know, just, sit and have a cup of coffee and then hey let's take it into the kitchen and like have to to do those kinds of things so we'll see what happens i'm I'm doing this for fun because it's more of just a creative outlet right now but if you don't uh keep progressing and like you know exactly do what you're passionate about then why do it so yeah i'm, I'm just going to keep having fun doing this i love it i, I love it. it and that's why i want to do it and support you i think as somebody who has all those miscellaneous projects also it's we support each other and kind of say, hey, there's people out here who want to hear about this stuff. And even just for your own sanity and uh, peace of mind of, like, talking about things that you're interested in and getting different opinions on things, it's, I think it's so valuable. There's not enough of that out there right now. Yeah. And especially, uh, I mean, so there's a guy that I, I – uh, I'll take up, like, two more minutes of your time if that's okay. But there's a guy that um, – Speaking of audiobooks, there's a guy named James Altucher, who mm -hmm. he's kind of a kooky guy from New York, and he he wrote this book. Um, I, I guess it's maybe like five years ago or six years ago, called Choose Yourself. But he he does like a podcast. He he you know write art, writes articles. He used to do stuff for like CNN and and like uh, some. He's been like an investor and shit, but he. Um, I don't know why I was saying that, but he wrote this book. He wrote this book just of like, hey, like, you know, there's so many different ways of of going about life. And I just told him that makes sense. Also, James Altucher, he wrote the book. Hmm. Choose yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I downloaded I downloaded the audio book. That's probably why I was I have the audio. I'm an author. That was a really great story. I think that was yeah. like. <laughs> Pause nuts. Yeah, I just had a total brain fart. But I think it might have been having to do with audiobooks, but talking about doing little side projects and, like, how maybe a little side project could be you find through doing a side project of something that or you Or it ends up being your life's work, right? You, like, yeah, start a little of course. side project and it ends up being your life's work. If I have to write yeah. about trees, you know, like... Who, who would think, like, oh, where'd you start in your career? Where are you now? Oh, I'm writing about a dead tree in Nepal. You know, it's like a, it's those kind of things where it's interesting where the path takes you. So go for it. And I think I, I, I'm excited to do this with you today. We'll have to do another one some other time. And um, no, I, I, through what we want to do. Yeah, maybe we'll. This, and this will be kind of, I, I feel like I know you better. Uh, after I've known you for such a long time, 
you know, but uh, I, I've gotten to know you through through our hour today, and uh, I appreciate it so much. Oh yes, this has been totally fun. So we'll talk soon. We'll write yes. soon, and uh, I don't know. Have a great day. Well, you too. Enjoy your day, so and fun. thanks for spending the time with me. Hey, when does this go? I'm going to listen to it. Oh, I'm going to probably get to editing, and and I will. Uh, I will have it up by tomorrow at the latest. I'll send you a little text link uh, with, with yeah, it. Yeah, we can send you, it out. Do you like your – yeah, of course. I always try to publish it. I have I have my uh, Into the Friar podcast page on Facebook I always publish, and then I always do it on my personal LinkedIn, and, and I have it uh, – I put it out on Twitter and stuff like that, so – I try to get it out there. We have about three listeners or four listeners, so um, awesome. you know, we're 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 getting just mega downloads per per. <laughs> Let's go for ten. Let's go for ten. We'll we'll go for ten. Now, actually, I I was looking. I I think like I get uh, about forty five or forty six listens on average per episode. So not too bad, but you know, I've only been doing it a short mm-hmm. time. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, and if one if one person listens to it. Besides you and I, then we, you know, and they're like, oh, that was interesting. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And if not, we had a great cup of coffee and a good conversation. Damn right. Great. Okay, Matt. Well, I'm going to get going. Can you get myself okay. outside? All right. And I'll talk to you, you soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Okay. You too.